All right, DJ, PK, and David Locke joining us now on the Sprint special guest line. Get a Samsung S10 for $0 when you activate a new line of service with a flex lease now through December 26th. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How are you? Doing well. You? I'm great. Well, I just dropped the kids off with their eight pairs of skis between the two of them or something, whatever crazy it was. We just... One's going to race, one's going to ski, so it's all good. Is it all good with the Utah Jazz? Did you see what you needed to see in the win against Minnesota? No, they're back on track. That stretch where they lost six out of eight was just a stretch. Or Minnesota's not very good. You got your concerns, and this is something that's going to play out over a long period of time. I think we saw more passes, um, which I've never always been the biggest believer that passes lead to success. But I think on this for this team, there does seem to be a – correlation between how many passes you throw um and i think you know you can go back to the so last like five years ago we averaged like 385 passes a game probably excessive we didn't have a team that couldn't beat anyone one-on-one so everything had to be manufactured and then if you go back to like the oklahoma city game opening night we threw 260 passes so that was the natural kind of the way I look back at that is that that's the natural way this roster would play if it wasn't coached. Is in its opening game, they they have a lot of scores, a lot of number one options in their career, and they all they all shoot. And so there were 260 passes in the opening night. Now Oklahoma City gets physical; it makes it tough against Minnesota the other night. I think it was about 330 or 340. So you're seeing some growth in that regard. Um, and you're seeing, and I think they're averaging now about 294 a game. So you're seeing that number increase, and that's, I think, signs that they're, they're beginning to play with the pass more and play together. Relative to Joe Ingles, in regard to starting, coming off the bench, rotations, lineups, whatever it might be, what's it going to take to get him to play at the level that he played the other night? Because when he plays at that level, obviously the team is much better. Well, there's a few things. I mean, one is uh, when he has the ball in his hands, he cannot pass to himself. So his greatest strength is to be a catch-and-shoot guy. Um, He's been a career 50% corner three shooter. He's been a plus 40% catch-and-shoot guy. And he's not been a great off-the-bounce three-point shooter. This year, I think he was around 24% for much of the year, one of the four or five lowest in the NBA for the volume he was taking. And so when he plays with the ball in his hands, you are cutting down a little bit on what his personal efficiency is going to be. That was true, too, last year. If you recall, if he played without Howell Meadow, without Ricky Rubio, so he was the point guard, his numbers personally were not very good. They were actually pretty close to what they are right now. So there's a little bit of, you know, if you're going to make him play point guard, you're taking away some of his strengths. It might be good for the team, the second thing is that, for whatever weird reason, his corner three shooting is bizarrely bad right now. I think he's – could look it up, but I think he's – I can't remember if he got a corner three the other night, but if he didn't, he's about two of 21 or two of 23 from, from that spot. So call it, you know, he's below 10%. He's been career 50%, 45% in that range. If he was 10 of 22 right now, which is what he should be, and you added those eight three-pointers on, all of his numbers would look a lot more normal, and we would be less worried about things. 
So I have a theory on this, and I wonder if the numbers to back it up because these numbers are like onions, and you know you just keep peeling back, and there's another layer. I think he's shooting worse from the corner in part because people no longer leave him. I think all the uh, two point shots that Donovan takes, either pull ups at the free throw line or the floater, or all that, he's ending up taking those because he can't throw it to the corner because they're not leaving. They are not leaving. And the ones that Joe has taken have probably been, for the most part, a little more contested than anyone would prefer because he isn't that open. Are you buying that or am I up in the night? I mean, I think your logic's 100%. I don't think the numbers would show that. Um, Any team that leaves the strong side corners incompetent in the NBA, that's like the first sign that a coach has no idea what they're doing Um, or that a player has no idea what they're doing. Like Minnesota. So it's usually a week. So it's usually a weak side corner play, which is the, I think it's, you know, Rubio's Nash dribble to the corner shooter. And that's just not a play that Donovan or Mike makes very often. So I think that's why he's not getting that look as much. And I think it's because he's playing almost exclusively with the ball in his hands and he's on the floor without Mike because uh, Emmanuel's not a natural point guard. So, uh, though Emmanuel's played really well recently, so tip of the hat to him. Um, and beyond just making shots on Emmanuel, Emmanuel's just played the game right. Um, but the, uh, I, I, I think all of your logic is right, but, I mean, they knew who he was last year and he still got him. So I think it has to do with just personnel changes and style changes. And then I just think Joe didn't – I think the other thing is that, you know what, Joe didn't shoot very well to start the year. Like, Joe, at some point – like, I don't mean this meat. Like, at some point we love Joe, so we make every excuse in the world for him. But, like – Really, when it gets right down to it, it's kind of on Joe. Like, not like he's been a 13-year starter who suddenly has to come off the bench. He was a two- or three-year starter. Like, at some point, you know, Joe just needs to play better, and he's beginning to. You put out a tweet a couple of days ago, why the Jazz would be okay. Quinn Snyder's the leader. Colts are strong. Players are good. Dante will improve. What makes you say Dante will improve? Well, because I really think he can't get any worse than he is right now because I think what we're asking him to do – or what we're expecting out of him is just totally unfair. So he'll get better. Like, the idea that a player comes out of an injury and then nine months later is equal or better than he was when he got injured is just, like, foolhardy. And that seems to me like what is the expectation on Dante right now. The problem is that we're too good. If we weren't any good, you could just roll Dante out for 22 minutes right now and let him get his sea legs back and be awful for a month and then start to get better and get back to showing some signs and continuing his you know rocky, inconsistent development that he's had due to injuries. But we're too good for that. Like Every time we lose, it's catastrophic, and we're trying to you know get home court advantage in a loaded top six West. And so there's just no room for Dante to come out and not be very good. But, you know, he, I mean, and, and I don't mean this even like, I'm not like I'm not trying to be critical. Like I don't think there's any reason why anyone should ever expect Dante to be any good right now. He hadn't played in virtually nine months or whatever it was in seven months, and he's coming off another leg injury. And you know he was okay before he got injured, but he was he was a little up and down. I mean, as good as he was in the blowout against the New York Knicks, it has everyone excited, which I find to be irrelevant. He was one of ten against Oklahoma City when they got into him, so which was you know six games before his injury. So there was still you know, wild inconsistencies out of him. He's not at the level that he was before the injury. And so he'll get better. He'll at least get to that point, And then he should, he's, 
stronger and physically working, and he's got a great mentality toward things. So he should he should be a little bit better, which gives us a little bit more depth. But right now, you cannot use even his strengths because he's he's struggling just generally with this, everything about the game, understandably so. But even his like great defensive efforts, when. I think our offensive rating when he's on the floor is like a 76 or something insane. Like it's just, he's just limited. He's just, it's not, you know, it's too fast for him right now. David Locke joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You think Mike Conley sitting out a few games, hitting reset, watching him play, blessing in disguise, or that's just reaching to make everything positive? So I was reading a text message I just got from some smart Alec, so I didn't hear your question. Mike Conley. A, a few. By the way, everybody, that smart Alec is David James. I did. He's texting me while I'm doing an interview with him, which means he's not listening to my answers at all. I or was. he's commenting on how stupid Welcome. he thought my answer yeah. was. Welcome no, my world. Didn't. Who let it happen, DJ? Come on, throw someone under the bus, Mr. Happy. I, everyone's buddy. Minis- Only ripped people in text messages to me. Hey, Come everyone's. On, I'm Everyone's buddy is everyone's buddy is your fault. Let's put you under the bus. You're the one who okay. came up with it, and it's stuck, and it irritates everybody PK to this buddy, day. David James, no, but never offend anyone. Who, what Utah Jazz player allowed a strong side corner three? No, you misread the text. Minnesota left Niang and gifted him a three, and it's one of the reasons I'm a little uh, slow to embrace this win as fixing everything. Go back and watch the play when they take the 20-point lead and they're all laughing going to the huddle. They left Niang on a strong well, side three and gifted him a wide-open shot. Well, I think I would hold to my quote that I had earlier in the show then. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. Okay. Right. All right, so Mike Conley is out. Is there a chance that missing a few games, watching him play, hitting reset is going to help him a lot, or is that just reaching to make everything positive? Uh, that's the hope. How's that? <laughs> okay. Could be. Um, we hope yeah, it's I, the first one. We're afraid it's the second one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, the what happened to Mike Conley is obviously a huge adjustment, and we can talk about all the X's and O's about it. Um, and, you know, the transfer, transformation from Jaron Jackson and Mark Gasol popping bigs to a rolling big, and, well, you know, the different offensive system and different spacing and what I think as much as anything happened is you have this guy who's teammate of the year who, for the first time in 788 games, was playing in a new uniform, wanted to please everybody immensely, and it didn't go right. And then when it didn't go right, it avalanched on him a little bit, and I think he just got way out of sorts and couldn't because nothing was normal from the drive to the game to the arena he was playing in, to the locker room he was getting dressed in, to where his kids were going during the day. Since none of it was normal, I just think he had a really hard time getting settled. And whether he and at that point you don't even know what when you when none of it's normal, you don't know what settled is. So hopefully this gets him settled um, and he's more productive. I do think the one thing they could do with him, and maybe that's what's been discovered here. This is one of the best catch-and-shoot guys in the NBA. He has not done it a lot because he plays with the ball in his hand so much. And it's kind of where they started the year with him was not having the ball in his hand so much and using the catch-and-shoot. But then when he struggled, everyone went 
everybody adapted to try to make Mike comfortable by putting the ball back in his hands and let him play with the ball. And on made shots, always make sure Mike's bringing it up and get him going. I might, I wouldn't be surprised they don't revert back a little bit to where Quinn started, which was like everybody go, Joe bring it up, and let Mike play off the ball a little bit because he's really one of the great catch-and-shoot guys in the NBA. And maybe that's how Mike ends up taking six or seven threes a game is that some of them are on catch-and-shoot instead of off-the-bounce high pick-and-rolls. So most teams are at the 25-game mark, and we see a little separation. You already mentioned the top six in the standings in the West. Do you think this is basically what the standings will be the rest of the year, or do you foresee movement, and if so, what teams are going where? So statistically, uh, at the 20th game of the year, you you can usually grab 15 of the 16 teams or playoff teams that are an eight and eight in each conference. Um, I think the eight in the East are set, right? Like, is there anyone? Orlando and Brooklyn are eight and seven and eight right now. Uh, yeah, Orlando's two games under 500, and Charlotte is five games under 500. That'd be eighth and ninth. Yeah, so the East is set. Like, I, I would put a lot down if I was allowed to bet on the NBA that those are the eight playoff teams. In what order, I'm not sure, but it's pretty clear those are the eight playoff teams. So now, it, numer- you know, tr- historically it means one of the Western Conference teams flips out, which probably means that either Sacramento – what is it right now? Because I think it's going to be Oklahoma City – if Oklahoma City doesn't make trades, OKC, Phoenix, if Aaron, if DeAndre Ayton doesn't destroy them, or um, Sacramento, Sacramento, I think will be the playoff teams. But I, I, Marvin Bagley and De'Aaron Fox returning does, you know, is good for Sacramento's future and bad for their current. Um, and so uh, I'm not sure that. I'm not sure Marvin Bagley returning actually makes Sacramento better right now. Um, so I, if, and I'm not sure DeAndre Ayton makes Phoenix better, frankly. That's, I think, going to be the most interesting thing is these two teams integrate their future pieces. It's going to make both of them less good. Um, so I think Oklahoma City, if they don't break this thing up, is going to be a, play, is a solid probably seventh seed. I've thought so all year. All They're right. good. At the other end of the Western Conference, are the Lakers and Clippers going to finish 1-2? What's the Rockets' record right now? The Rockets right now are 16-8. and eight. They are two games behind the Clippers. They are five and a half behind the Lakers. And they're yeah, fourth because they're, they're a game behind the Mavericks. Um, yeah, Dallas, let's, I'll evaluate Dallas on January 1st. They're playing, they're finally playing an NBA, they're playing a hard NBA schedule for the next 20 days, so let's see what happens. Um... James Harden is having a better year and a more dominating year than I think is being given credit for. And he is overshadowing how horrendous Russell Westbrook really is and how detrimental he is to a team's offense. Um, if they can quiet the negative of Russell Westbrook at all, Houston could, and the Eric Gordon comes back and plays healthy instead of the way he did earlier in the year, Houston could make a run uh, to that top group. Westbrook should be – excuse me, Harden, there actually should not – I know it's Giannis, Luca, Harden conversation. It actually should just be Harden. Like, it's – what Harden's doing offensively is so much better than anyone else in the NBA by such a large margin. It's almost Steph Curry uh, three or four years ago. Like, he's having that kind of an impact on games. I don't I – don't, I think we're bored of it. I, I don't think we quite grasp it. Um, but his offensive impact and what he's doing – 
on a team where virtually everybody else is playing terribly. Uh, Clint Capella's okay, but Russell is really awful um, offensively, and for him to be carrying them the way he is is tremendous. So if they they get rid of their negatives at all, they could make a real run because Russell is just on another – I mean, James is just on another level. David, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes, and we'll listen to you on the Warrior game tonight. We'll look forward to it, and um, look at teams that give up the strong side corner three. Okay. David Locke joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Mark Harlan, Utah Athletic Director, is next.